Shalom, and welcome to Via Hafta Yisrael, a Hebrew phrase which means you shall love Israel. We hope you'll stay with us for the next 30 minutes as our teacher, Dr. Baruch, shares his expository teaching from the Bible. Dr. Baruch is the senior lecturer at the Zera Avraham Institute based in Israel. Although all courses are taught in Hebrew at the Institute, Dr. Baruch is pleased to share this weekly address in English. To find out more about our work in Israel, please visit us on the web at loveisrael.org. That's one word, loveisrael.org. Now, here's Baruch with today's lesson. Do you have confidence in God? Meaning this, do you believe and trust God fully as believers in Messiah? As those who have received that gospel message, we should be fully assured that what God has said, what he has promised, we are going to be the recipients of all of this. Why? God is faithful. And a great example of God's faithfulness is how he will deal with Israel in the last days. You see, those who teach that God has replaced Israel, that God has, has broken that covenant and said no more to those people and their future, all of that cannot be supported when we look at prophecy. When we look at prophecy, God tells us that we should anticipate a wonderful restoration, a restoration that will come at the very end of, of Daniel's 70th week, those final seven years, Israel will go through a very intense time of suffering, of trials, of tribulation, but in the end, there will be a remnant, those who are still alive, they will witness Messiah's second coming, his deliverance, his victory for his people and they are going to call upon him and be saved. God promises this in his prophetic truth. Well, take out your Bible and look with me to the book of Isaiah and chapter 52. The book of Isaiah and chapter 52. Now, in this section, we're only going to look at the first six verses. We'll complete this chapter next week, but in this session, we're just going to do the first six verses that sets up some wonderful truth for us. God's marvelous revelation where he shows his faithfulness. And therefore, we should have absolute assurance that what God has said, he's going to do. Well, look with me to verse 1. Now, we see something that God has said repeatedly and that is he speaks and will speak in the last days he speaks now in the text but this will become a reality in the last days when he tells the descendants of Yaakov the sons of Jacob to awake and this term awake implies a transition a change a transformation something different so look at verse 1 Awake, awake, and let me ask you a question. What's one of the first things that you do when you get up in the mornings? You get dressed. And therefore, we see that same thing here in verse 1, once more. 
wake up, wake up, put on your strength. Now, this strength is a prophetic promise from God that he is going to strengthen his covenant people. And I'm speaking about Israel in the last days. That has been promised by God. It is prophetically recorded in numerous of the biblical prophets. And therefore, we ought to expect it because God keeps covenant. God keeps his word. So he says, put on your strength, O Zion. Now, Zion is a kingdom word. Zion in Hebrew. It speaks about Jerusalem in a new state, in a redemptive state. So, when we encounter that word Zion or Zion in English, we should expect kingdom ramifications and also the outcome of God's redemptive work through the Messiah. The whole verse. Wake up, wake up, put on your strength, O Zion. And then he says, put on garments of your splendor, O Jerusalem. So we see a correlation between garments of strength and garments of, of splendor. What is that telling us? That God's power is going to make a glorious transformation for his people, his covenant people, Israel. And we see the parallelism between Sion, Zion, and Jerusalem. Again, Zion, Jerusalem in her redemptive state. And Jerusalem is called, and all of this is for the last days, Jerusalem is called the holy city. For no longer, notice what God says. Here's this change. No longer will enter into you again. And then he has two types of people. We have the word Arel and Tameh. Arel, uncircumcised. And we need to understand that circumcision has to do with the flesh being removed. The death of the flesh by faith. And what God is saying is that there's not going to be that which is, is of the flesh. That carnalness isn't going to be in Jerusalem in her new state, that redemptive state in the kingdom known as Zion. So no uncircumcised. Now that term uncircumcised, it speaks to that which is forbidden. For example, in the book of Leviticus, it talks about, I believe in chapter 19, about a tree. And a tree, its fruit is considered uncircumcised the first three years. It's forbidden. It cannot be partaken of, enjoyed, received. It has to be set aside. Why? Because this term, uncircumcised, speaks about that which is rejected by God. So those who are going to be into Jerusalem, they are not going to be rejected by God. They're all going to be received by him. How? Well, through covenantal truth, through God's promise, through God's word. And ultimately, that covenant is the Abrahamic covenant, which Paul tells us in Galatians 3.16, the foundation of it, the seed of Abraham is Messiah.
So all of them are going to be part of a new covenant through Messiah where the death of the flesh through faith is going to be to be expressed. And that's why it says, no longer will enter into you ever again the uncircumcised or the impure, the unclean, the tamay in, in Hebrew. And here again, tamay, this is something which God simply won't bless. He won't acknowledge. So those that are going to be in the kingdom are going to be those that are not rejected but received by God. They are going to be received because of a covenantal relationship. And they're going to be the ones who are blessed. That which is tamay, unblessable. That which is tahor, pure, that's what God blesses. So this first verse tells us about God's goodness that he's going to do in bringing about the fulfillment of his promises to Israel. Now look at verse 2. We see here once more transition and transformation. Verse 2. Shake off from dust, rise up. That's literally what it says. Shake off. So imagine someone is, is full of dust or dirt or, or soil, the ground, and he shakes himself off, brushes himself off in order that what? Well, this, this term for afar, dust or soil, however you want to translate it, it represents traces of the world. And once again, it's saying remove yourself, separate yourself from those things that relate to this world. So there's a distinction, a dichotomy from this world into the kingdom. They're not uh, one and the same. There's a transformation, a redemptive outcome that has come about, which allows one to shake themselves off from the evidence, the trace of this world. He says, rise up. Now, this term, rise up, if you do a good study of it, frequently it's used for someone who is called into service, called to fulfill God's expectations. So he's saying, Israel is going to shake off the things of this world in order to serve faithfully God. And that's a message for us as well. Meaning, believers, as long as we are, are having traces of the world, representing the world, being in connection to the world, we're not going to be faithful servants of God. So he says, shake off the dust, rise up. And then he says, sit down, O Jerusalem. Now, some would say, isn't that kind of odd? Rise up and then sit down. Well, the rising up is to serve. And the sitting down, if you look at most of the, the biblical commentators, they point out that this sitting down is sitting upon the throne. Meaning this, finally Israel, and it's spoken here of Jerusalem because Jerusalem is also a kingdom word, that finally in the kingdom, Israel is going to take her position as, as rulers and, and leaders, that, that they're going to carry out God's purposes, the leadership that God called Israel to display. And when will that be seen? Israel's leadership over the nations is going to characterize, it's going to be the, the quality, what's seen 
in that millennial kingdom. And the believers, you and I, those who belong to that new covenant relationship. And here's what we need to see. Israel is going to be leaders in the millennial kingdom. They're going to come to faith. Messiah is going to return. Israel is going to look upon the one who has been pierced and receives him. Israel is going to receive him and they're going to be saved. But we are the ones in that new body. We're going to have a position of being supervisors, that is, judging Israel in their leadership role. Are they doing well or not? Assisting them. We're going to be ruling and reigning with Messiah. These supervisors, that's what we're going to be. Israel's the leaders over the nations. This order that God has long established, but Israel has rebelled against. So when it says, sit, O Jerusalem, it speaks about taking their leadership position, that throne uh, of, of ruling. Then it says, loosen the, the cords of your neck. And this is speaking about how, in order for this to all be fulfilled, Israel has to come out of bondage. These cords around the neck, this speaks about the enslavement, the the bondage that the nations had put Israel in. In the last days, that's going to come to an end. So loosen the cords around your neck. And he says, O captivity, Zion, meaning O captivity, the daughter of Zion, meaning there's going to be that, that change. That instead of being in captivity, captivity, what should come into your mind when you hear that word, Shevi in, in Hebrew? You should hear the thought of, of redemption. Captivity is exile, and therefore God is speaking about a change that's coming to those in exile. They're going to experience redemption. So captivity hints to exile, and God's going to do a great work in bringing the people out of exile and back literally to the land of Israel. Look now to verse, verse 3. For thus said the Lord. If your Bible says, says, it's wrong. It is in the past tense because it hints to a promise. So, thus said the Lord. For nothing. Now, this means that, that Israel, in going into bondage, and this is a, you have to understand Torah truth. And why do I say that? because occasionally someone would find themselves in a very difficult situation. And because they could not uh, uh, pay their bills, they could not take care of themselves, they would become an indentured servant, a bond servant. Sometimes a parent would take a young child and would make him a bond servant of another family and that would give them some, some income. The child would work, maybe a young man of 12, 13, 14 years old, or same thing for a young girl. And oftentimes when she became of age, she would marry the, the, the owner of the estate's son. It was type of an arranged marriage that would lead one day to this young girl who would serve that household but she would become a member of that household through marriage. If not, 
the Torah speaks about what would be done for that woman. But, but here, the image is this. God is saying that, that Israel went into to a type of bondage and they received nothing for it. So look at the text. For thus says the Lord, actually said the Lord, for nothing you were sold. No one benefited from this financially. If your Bible says, for nothing you sold yourselves, yourselves is not in the text. Not for, and not for silver, you will be redeemed. So God is saying there's no financial consideration here. Why did Israel go into bondage? Because of sin. And why were they set free? Not paid for, redeemed by silver, but we know the redemption was not through money, but through the precious blood of Messiah. Now look at verse 4. Once more, for thus said the Lord God, Egypt, my people went down. So to Egypt, my people went down at the beginning, at first, to live there. Now, they made that decision. Now, we know the cause of it. The reason why is because of sin. What sin? Selling Joseph into slavery. What you use will be measured back to you. And therefore, because they sinned, against Joseph they found themselves in the bondage because of their sin in Egypt but they went down there willfully they made a poor decision to live there but then it says look at the end of verse 4 and assure this is Assyria with with nothing meaning no cause no right what did they do he oppress so Assyria came not out of any uh, uh, benefit that, that, that he himself you know, was, was going to, to uh, receive. He did it. Why? No reason. Because he's evil. Now, God used it. How did God use it? Because that northern kingdom who was taken, which was taken into to exile, the Assyrian exile, it was because of idolatry. But, but he didn't do it for any, any reason that Israel sinned against him, that Israel did something against Assyria. Not at all. He did it because he was evil. God used it in order to punish the northern kingdom for their idolatry and for their sin. But, but he didn't have any just cause in doing it. That's what the text is telling us look at verse 5 but now now this is an important transitional phrase but now and the now has to do with the time of Isaiah when he says who is to me or with me literally to me but who belongs to me here declares the Lord he's saying who in the midst of this current situation is, is going to be faithful, belong to, to God. Then he goes on and says, For my people were taken for nothing. And we have that, that his 
ruler, the one who ruled, what did he do? He caused them to wail. So they suffered greatly under this, this oppressive ruler, declares the Lord. Second part of verse 5. And always, all day long, my name is blaspheme. Now it's not the normal word for, for blaspheme, but it's a synonym, meaning more or less the same thing that because of what the enemy is doing god's name is being blasphemed because israel's in exile israel's being oppressed worship's not going on these are the idolaters that are inflicting the punishment upon god's people so because god's name is blasphemed what can we anticipate we can anticipate a change a very important change that is coming now we're going to do one more verse in this this session and we're going to speak more about this transition this change that is foreshadowed here at the end and the end of verse 5 look again into verse 5 where it says and always all day long my name is blasphemy god's not going to allow that and therefore we can anticipate a change look at verse six what's the first word lachen meaning therefore in this sense it's a cause and effect it is because god's name all day long always is being blasphemed when israel is in oppression and in exile Therefore, God's going to do something. God himself is going to bring about a change. Verse 6, therefore, my people will know my name. In order that there's someone that's not blaspheming the name of God, he says, therefore, my people will know my name. Therefore, beyom hahu. Now, I realize that most of you aren't Hebrew speakers, but hopefully that you have become familiar with that expression. If not, hopefully now you will. Be'yom ha-hu. It is an idiom that repeats over and over and over throughout the scriptures. Obviously, it's Hebrew, so the Old Testament, but that, that same term can also be found in Greek in the New Testament where it speaks about on that day what day judgment day and isn't judgment day wonderful for god's people see this is what we need to realize for those who's in that new covenant relationship or those who have that old covenant which god's going to move in faithfulness to and transform them into new covenant believers when in the last days it's going to be and don't miss this point it is going to be as witnessing God's judgment, his wrath in the last days upon the enemies of Israel that is going to bring the Jewish people, that last day remnant, those who are still alive at the end of, of the final seven years. It is going to bring them to faith. That's why God's judgment is wonderful. And that's why I've said in many other teachings, 
if you look at Revelation chapter 8, you see heaven. Here's some wisdom for you. How heaven responds, you be the same. And in chapter 18, heaven is rejoicing. They are praising God for his righteous judgment. Because God's righteous judgment brings forth a marvelous, wonderful, terrific outcome. And what is that? The kingdom of God. So look again at verse 6. Therefore, my people will know my name. Therefore, this tells us when they're going to and why they're going to on that day, judgment day. For I am he, the one who is speaking. God's saying, I am the one that's making this promise. Now, this should, should capture our attention, meaning this. Someone, that's you and me, we're believers, we're reading this. And it says here, I am he who is speaking, meaning speaking these things. They're not going to be unfulfilled. God's not going to change. He's not going to replace his people that he's spoken about now in this prophetic truth with some other people. All such teaching is not from God. It cannot be supported biblically. People will twist scripture. They'll take things out of context, but it's always, always something that's not prophetic. It's, it's something that they read in the New Testament, and because they are illiterate of, of God's testimony through the Old Testament, they, they make an improper and incorrect interpretation of that New Testament passage. God is very clear here. He says, my people will know my name. How is that going to come about? On judgment day. For I am he that is speaking. And then this last great, great phrase. Literally one word in Hebrew. It's a composite word, compound word, but it's the word hineni. Now, hineni, I say a compound word. Why? Because we're speaking of the word hine, meaning behold, and the word ani, hineni, ani meaning I or me. So this is what God's saying. Hineni, and again, if you are a Hebrew speaker, this has great significance. Why? Because this is what the patriarch said as God extended himself with his covenant. Hineni. This is what God says as well. It's promising, behold, it is I. God is saying these things. And we see this as this term Hineni having to do with the patriarchs and God and that covenant that, that changed their eternity, that brought about a transformation, that prophetic transformation which they believed in, that they based their life upon, that changed every aspect of them because they believed what this one was promising. So we have to ask ourselves, are we this way? Are we individuals that truly believe in God's word? It's the Lord God who is saying these things. And therefore, as we began, this should give us an absolute assurance. It should give us total confidence that what God has said in this book, it's only a matter of time, and the time is getting shorter. God is beginning to move. In, in last days events 
to bring about the promise that he made to his people. That he is going to establish a glorious kingdom, a righteous kingdom. And we, through faith in Messiah, we have an eternal home in that kingdom through God's promise of redemption that was sealed with the very blood of his son. Well, wonderful words that Isaiah shares with us. Words of promise, words of assurance. And next week, as we conclude the second half of Isaiah 52, we're going to see that the promises are clear and we're going to see wonderful things that God will do. Until then, Shalom from Israel. Well, we hope you will benefit from today's message and share it with others. Please plan to join us each week at this time and on this channel for our broadcast of loveisrael.org. Again, to find out more about us, please visit our website, loveisrael.org. There you will find articles and numerous other lectures by Baruch. These teachings are in video form. You may download them or watch them in streaming video. Until next week, may the Lord bless you in our Messiah Yeshua, that is, Jesus, as you walk with Him. Shalom from Israel.